Have you ever been late to a funeral? I am told that that is one of the most disrespectful things that you could ever do. Because what it does is that it distracts attention from those who are grieving and places the attention upon yourself. Now in today's text, we are going to see Jesus coming to a town at just the time that there was a funeral procession taking place. The only child of a recently widowed woman. Now the only thing worse than having to bury your husband is to have to turn around and bury your only child. Let's look at Luke chapter 7, uh, beginning at verse 11 for the story. Soon afterward, Luke tells us, he, meaning Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And when the Lord saw her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the coffin. Your translation says the bear. And the Paul bearers stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Now Jesus and a sizable crowd made the 30-mile, 700-foot-above-sea-level climb from Capernaum to the town of Nain. I'm told that that walk would have taken at least a day and a half. It was no coincidence that they arrived at the gate of the city at precisely the time that a funeral procession was taking place. You might say that Jesus timed his visit to perfection. The same way that he has timed his visit to us here this morning to perfection. Because he wants to intersect with whatever procession of grief you might find yourself in this morning. The first point I want us to examine is this, that the life of another young man, a man-child, the life of a man-child is cut short. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. Now, according to the website mensjournal.com, here are the five leading causes of death among young men between the ages of 18 to 24. Number one, accidents, 38 to 42%. Suicide, 16 to 20%. Homicide, 11 to 18%. Cancer, 6%. And heart disease, 3 to 7%. Now, what was the cause of this young man's death? Luke does not give us any details whatsoever. 
But the assumption is that he died prematurely. His mother was overcome with grief as only the mother of an only child who predeceases her can grieve. Now I happened to be watching a live stream service, funeral for a young man on the island of Nevis where I'm from. And during the pre-service viewing, his mother let out a gut-wrenching scream that only those who have lost children, and in this case, an only male child, can relate to. The woman in our story was grief-stricken. The life of her only son had been cut short, not unlike what happens in our society, where seemingly the life of the male child does not carry as much value as it should. It is very dispensable. So we find that gun violence and gang warfare and mass shootings and deadly drugs and alcohol and tobacco, pornography and other vices such as these are snuffing out the lives of our young adult men at a disproportionately alarming rate. Our mothers are being widowed too early. Too many of our sisters are being robbed of potential husbands. Too many of our children are being left fatherless. Our workplace is becoming depleted. But here is question number one for us this morning. Where is our gut-wrenching cry over the loss of our young men. Who is crying out, enough is enough? Rather than directing your anger at the perpetrators, at the government, at the NRA, at those on either side of the First Amendment or Second Amendment, who is going before God's throne crying out in anguish at mass shootings with AR-15s? that are claiming the lives of our young people. Here is question number two. When you hear God say the following, what is the response of your heart? And this is what God says. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. When you hear God say these words, what response does it evoke in you? Now, did you notice that there was both a condition as well as a promise made in the scripture? Here is the condition. If my people, that would be you and I who proudly testify that we are Christians, that we are God's people, 
if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That is the condition. Now let us notice the progression of action in this verse. First of all, there is humility, which is a posture of complete dependence upon God. This leads to prayer, which is turning from our wicked ways to seek God. And that leads to the promise, and here it is. Then I will hear from heaven, God himself speaking, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now you and I have heard this very verse more often, more times than we can actually count. But they never seem to invoke or evoke in the church the kind of wholesale response from us that God is looking for. I believe that it's time that we took God seriously. I believe it's time that we took this command seriously and obeyed it. If God commands us to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, here's the question, when will we obey it? When will we? And when will we hold God accountable for his promise that says, my eyes and ears will be open to the and attentive to the prayer that is made in this place? I'm told that a small town had been dry, meaning that there was no alcohol that was served in it, until a local businessman decided to build a bar in that town. And so a group of Christians uh, from the area, they were very concerned about this happening in their, whole, in, their, in their community, and so they decided to call an all-night prayer meeting to pray against this bar from coming into fruition and to beg God to intervene. During their prayer, lightning struck the barn so that it burned to the ground. And so the man, the businessman, knowing that the, the church had been praying against this barn, I'm sorry, against this bar, the man decided to take the church to court because of their prayers. And so guess what the church does? The church hired an attorney to represent them in court, claiming that it wasn't their prayers that caused the barn, and the bar to uh, burn down. And so the judge listened to the case uh, initially, and then declared this, I quote him, regardless of how this case turns out, one thing is clear. This bar owner clearly believes in the power of prayer. You Christians don't, end of quote. Do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we? Our second point is this. Jesus' heart bleeds compassion for the hurting. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear. Jesus saw this woman. And immediately he knew what her story was. He knew that she had been widowed. 
Now, some of you know extremely well what it is like to lose a husband that you thought you would grow old with. You know the heartache that torments you, the loneliness that grips you, the financial insecurity that threatens you. Jesus immediately knew her story. He knew that he was her only son. Her husband had died before they could have other children. Maybe she had miscarried others. We don't know the details. I'm told that there is no feeling like having to bury your child, much less your only child, much less your male child. Because you see, children should bury, I'm sorry, parents. I'm so, yes, I was right the first time. Children should bury their parents and not the other way around. And yet, that happens so often. There's no feeling like being invisible during your grief. Nobody noticing you. Even though there's a crowd with you, sometimes you feel alone in that crowd. But this woman was not invisible to Jesus. He saw her. He understood the emotional, financial, and spiritual pain that she was facing as a widow with no son to continue supporting her. Now, back then, when a woman got married in Jewish culture, she was completely dependent upon her husband's family for financial protection. And so if the husband died, it was the responsibility of the oldest son to now take care of her. So now that her only son was dead, she was literally at the end of a financial rope. But it's so comforting to me, and I hope it is to you, that Jesus picks her out from the crowd. Now, yes, there's a group, there's a considerable group of people around her, Luke tells us. And yet Jesus picks her out from the crowd. He not only saw her, but he felt something for her. And what he felt for her was compassion. One translation says that his heart went out to her. Another translation says that his heart left his chest. All of this translates into compassion. Compassion that she had been rendered husbandless. Compassion that she was now childless. Compassion that she was now penniless in the world. Jesus saw her and his heart left his chest and went to her. Notice also that Jesus spoke to her. And what he said to her was, do not weep. He tried to comfort her, to console her in her grief. I don't know how many of you guys know of Bob Marley. I'm sure that there are more than 10 of you in this crowd that know about Bob Marley, the late Bob Marley. He wrote a song once called, No Woman, No Cry. And um, there's a line from that um, song that says, Little darling, don't shed no tears because every little thing is going to be all right. I think Bob Marley was saying the same thing that Jesus is saying here. Don't cry, woman. Don't weep. But Jesus also came near to the woman, which speaks of presence. And physical presence during a funeral, during grieving, means so much to those who are grieving. 
the spiritual presence, comforting presence, means even so much more. I am with you always, Jesus says. I am near to the brokenhearted, he whispers. I will comfort you in all of your troubles, he assures us. And then he touched the coffin, which in Jewish culture was a no-no because to touch the dead was considered to be defiling yourself. And Jesus does it anyway. He touches the coffin. I believe this was his way of showing this grieving widow that he really cared for her. She was going through a double tragedy, having lost her husband and now having to bury her only son. And Jesus touches the coffin to assure her that, hey, I understand, I see you. I know you're grieving. I am with you. But even greater than touching a dead man's coffin is Jesus' ability to touch the living and the hurting this morning. Will you allow him to do just that? Here's our third and final point this morning. Jesus demonstrates what the church must be about. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now some people consider this to be the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did. Aside from himself raising from the dead, uh, him actually raising a dead man back to life. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man got up from death and began to speak. Now how amazing it is. That Jesus has power over death. But even more amazing than that is this. That Jesus has given that power to the church. Now what if you knew that Jesus said before he went back to the Father. That greater works than these will we do. We, the church. What if you knew that Jesus empowered the church to speak life to dead situations? And we have dead situations all around us. We have marriages that are dead. We have relationships that are dead. We have people who are alive physically but dead spiritually all around us. There are dead situations. What if you knew that we have been empowered by God to speak life into dead situations and to bring them to life in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. What if you knew that the same power that raised the dead and that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us as a church? I want to say to us this morning, that we need to activate that power that is within us. And how we activate that power is by getting on our knees and crying out to God for that empowerment to be happening within the church. When we pray, God's power is released in the church so that we are empowered to declare life to dead situations. 
But we don't obtain this kind of power without prayer and without fasting, Jesus cautions us. This is the bottom line of our message this morning, that God's timing is always perfect and God's power is real. God's timing is always perfect. He's never a day too late. He's always on time. And his power is real. There are three things I want you to take away from this message and apply to your lives during this week. First of which is this, arise from the dead. Let me say to you this morning that I have some sad news and I have some good news. Which one do you want to hear first? You want to hear the sad news first? All right, thank you. I will share the sad news with you first then. The sad news is this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are dead. Dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the sad news. You're dead because the life of God is not in you. How many of you are ready for the good news? The good news is this. God can raise you to life by the power of Jesus' words. And this is what Jesus has to say to you this morning. Arise. Arise. Arise from your dead situation. Get up from death and start to live. I wonder if I'm speaking to anybody this morning. You are experiencing death of some kind, even as you are spiritually alive. Maybe you are dead in your trespasses and your sins, as the scripture says. Or maybe there's some dead situation, something in your life that is dying that needs to be brought back to life. Maybe things are not so good at home in your marriage. Maybe you need that to be resurrected so that you enjoy for once the intimacy and the love and the closeness that marriages should have. I wonder with your eyes uh, closed and your heads bowed, if there's somebody who is going to be honest enough to say, I am experiencing something dead in my life right now, which I really want the power of Jesus to bring back to life. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, May I just see your hand? I'm not going to put you on the spot. I will just pray that God would heal and raise that dead situation back to life for you. May I see your hand, please? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see a third hand over there. Is there anybody else? Let's just pray. God, there are three persons this morning who have confessed by raising their hands that there is some situation that they need you to resurrect for them. And God, upon the authority of Jesus and his word, I pray that it will not be long before that dead situation is brought back to life to bring you honor and glory. I pray, Lord God, if there's any person among us who does not know Jesus as Savior, that, Lord, they will indeed consider the importance of giving their heart and life to you and allow you to raise them from spiritual death to spiritual life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Here's the second thing I want you to think about. Let Jesus' compassion bring healing to your soul. Let the compassion that Jesus offers bring healing to your soul. Now, I watched a movie once uh, called The Climb. And in that movie, Michael and his climbing partner, Derek, they are trapped in a mountain cave because of an avalanche. And as they are hanging out in there, Michael confides in Derek that um, he had lost his wife in a car accident exactly two and a half years earlier. He had never shared that. But as they are close together in that cave, um, having experienced an avalanche, they dis- uh, he shared that news with Derek. And Derek, after allowing that to sink in, replied to Michael, maybe it's time you start letting the healing in. Maybe it's time you start letting the healing in. I want to say to you here this morning, isn't it time that you start letting the healing in? You've been grieving for some time. And grieving is natural, and God understands that, and he doesn't condemn you for it. But today I want to ask you, while Jesus' heart has left his chest to go out to you, isn't it time you start letting his healing in? Here's a third and final application point as I close. Pray that God makes our church a life-giving place. Pray that God makes our church a life-giving place. God has given to the church, Paul tells us, the ministry of reconciliation. Now that makes you and I who are part of his church, that makes us ambassadors for Christ. And Paul tells us that God is making his appeal through us. For people to be reconciled to God. And so I want to ask you this morning. Will you pray that God displays his life-giving power through our church? Will you pray continually that our church becomes a place where God's power raises dead situations to life? Through our worship. Through our preaching. And through our evangelism, as people are coming to us. I came across this short poem, if you can call it that, entitled, Go to Church Anyway. I want to close with that. And I want you to give serious attention to these lines, because they're so true. Here's here's the poem. If you're having sex before marriage, go to church anyway. If you're trying to beat an addiction, go to church anyway. If you were out drunk all night the night before, go to church anyway. If you aren't sure what gender you prefer, go to church anyway. If you can't quit that disgusting habit, go to church anyway. Because church is a hospital for the broken. For the lost, for the empty, the confused, the desperate, the rejected. God's grace is enough. So whatever you've done, and whatever you're doing, and whatever you will do, it 
just might change your life if you went to church anyway. Let us pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Your word is faithful. Your word is true. We can trust it. And God, if we put you to the test, if we have faith, we can believe, we'll, we can believe and the things that we are believing you for can in fact happen. Again, Lord, I pray that you would bless your word to your people. Help us, Lord God, to take away from it exactly the emphasis that you want us to take, and then give us the courage to apply your truth to our lives this week and to watch how you work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.